probably one of the best known scriptures in the whole of the Bible. It's almost embedded in our national consciousness. Um, if there's one bit of scripture that people know, this is one of them. Uh, the other day we were watching um, a film from the 80s, The Elephant Man, about a, a 19th century um, doctor who discovers this hideously deformed character and, and tries to communicate with him. And the moment at which the doctor knows that hidden inside this hideous frame is a thinking, feeling speaking person is when he starts reciting the 23rd psalm and it's very moving at some point in his earlier life he'd learnt it and he remembered it and was speaking it out and at that moment the doctor gets the revelation that this is a a, a truly dignified human being but it's very quite difficult for something that is so familiar to us to carry impact sometimes And one of the other reasons it doesn't always bring impact to us is because, um, well, we don't see too many sheep around here and we don't come across shepherds very often. But shepherd is a common image throughout the scriptures of what God is like. It's used over a hundred times to speak of what God is like. And sheep are a common metaphor for God's people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Psalm 100, it says this, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And obviously that reflects the agricultural and at times nomadic lifestyle of the people of Israel. Sheep are the commonest animal mentioned in the Bible. So it was common currency. And David's saying, the Lord's my shepherd. Everybody understands what that's about. But actually, if you read the 23rd Psalm, and if you know anything about uh, pastoral care, as in looking after sheep 2,000 years ago or more, the 23rd Psalm reads pretty much like a manual of how to look after sheep. Because that's what shepherds did. If we could put the scripture back up again, that's possible. So David is very much remembering his own experience because he was a shepherd, of course. And the Psalm 23 is pretty much a day in the life of a shepherd. And it goes something like this. The shepherd leads his sheep out in the morning to pasture for grazing and for watering. And after several hours, particularly in the heat of the day, the sheep would lie down and rested, probably in a cool and shady place for several hours. And as darkness fell, The shepherd led the sheep back on safe paths that he would know. And if there's more than one shepherd, one at the front and one bringing up the rear. If there were several of them, some at the front, some bringing up the rear, following. Back to safety in the sheepfold, using his rod to guide them. And his staff, which sounds a bit poetic, but it basically means a club. Okay, to protect them from attack. And back at the pen, the shepherds would use the rod to count them in. It was called rodding the sheep. They'd lay the rod across the sheep's back, and so many sheep's worth is the width of the pole. Count them in like that. And would deal with any wounds and scratches that they had with whatever medication they had, which in those days was normally oil. But of course, it's not just about all these metaphors of what God is like to David. In the New Testament, because so much of the Old Testament looks forward to the New Testament, we find the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. 
who described and claimed for himself that he was a good shepherd in John 10. It isn't just that God's like a shepherd, he is one. He demonstrated it in his son. Probably also needs adding that sheep need a shepherd. They're completely dependent on the shepherd for care in every sense. Provision, protection, leading, and all that sort of stuff. So let's quickly look how God is a shepherd to us. There's two things I particularly want to emphasize, but let's go through a whole list of things. How the Lord shows his care to his people. Remember, this is a great image, but it was embodied in Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. Okay, so let's quickly go through the psalm. First thing, how does the Lord show his care? Number one, he shows it by providing, by provision in verse one. Literally, I shall want for nothing. Everything we need, God is able to provide. God's promise of provision is a common theme to his people all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. One of the most obvious ways that he expresses his care to his people is in providing for us. I'm a school teacher, forgive me. Put your hand up if you know that God has provided for you in some material sense. We've all experienced it. Okay? One of the ways in which God shows his care is simply by providing for our needs. God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, says Paul. And it's a rich provision. A table, a table load of provision, if you like, in verse 5. He prepares a table. A full cup, overflowing, in verse 5. Even in the midst of difficulty. I believe God wants to say to some people this morning, even in times of trouble, God's provision is still there for you, even in times of trouble. In the presence of enemies, God provided a full table and a flowing cup. Secondly, God shows his care for us by rest and restoration. I'm going to move on very quickly from that one because I want to come back to that a little bit later. Thirdly, God shows his care for us by guiding us. A path, in the Old Testament particularly, is often a common metaphor for life's journeys. Your choices, your decisions, your actions, and their outcome. Okay, it's a common image in the Bible. A path, uh, or talking in paths of righteousness, means right ways of living, right responses, right choices, and right outcomes. Isaiah said this, God said this through Isaiah rather, how gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And actually if you look at the context of that prophecy, it's in the context of making right moral choices God's care for us is his promise that he will guide us and lead us believe again this morning if anyone here 
is stuck with a choice and they don't know what to do. The Lord wants to show you. The Lord wants to show you. He will guide us, he promises, in righteous paths. That's paths that turn out right. That's his promise to us. For his name's sake, in verse 3, is for his own honor's sake. Actually, God has a vested interest in teaching you in right paths, because if you're one of his followers, he does want it to turn out right for you and me, because his honor's at stake as well as your blessing. Okay, very quickly. God promises, number four, protection and security in this psalm. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, actually literally the words there mean deep darkness. It isn't necessarily to do with death, but it means deep darkness, which obviously in the Old Testament particularly um, often has the implication of death, but it's certainly scary, threatening, and fearful. Anybody like me uh, woken up in a when you've been visiting somewhere or, you know, and you've woken up and it's pitch black and for about a minute you have no idea where you are. Anybody ever have that? <laughs> you know, it's not your own bed, it's not your own house, you know that, but you actually don't know where you are for a while. And it can be a little bit scary. Deep darkness, if anybody's been uh, to parts of the world where they don't have light pollution, uh, it's not really true around Oxford, it never gets really, really dark. But deep darkness where you really can't see beyond about there, has a fear attached to it. And yet the promise of the Lord is he will protect us and bring security in times and places of deep darkness. He protects us in unsafe places. Unsafe places. And we do get ourselves into unsafe places, sometimes by choice and in places we shouldn't be. But actually, sometimes following the Lord means we get to places where it is a bit scary. Not because we've made the wrong choice, but actually because we're following the Lord. And sometimes there's a risk element. But the Lord's promise is that he will protect us. It says, David says here, your rod and staff, they comfort me. Well, that word comfort kind of, I don't know, conjures up sort of images of sort of a hot water bottle and, uh, you know, um, a nice warm blanket and... uh, um, maybe you know some nice nibbly food or something, you know, comfort eating. Um, it's got the word fort in the middle of it. Comfort is about bringing strength. It's not necessarily about feeling nice and warm and cuddly. And I think we've kind of misused that word. About comfort means to bring strength to. And the rod and staff did just that. The rod pulled sheep out of trouble, not gently. Disciplined a wanderer, don't go there. And the club, sorry, the staff, the club was used to beat off as lion, a lion or a bear, as David said he fought off as a shepherd. So there's strength in God's care. There's strength in his protection. And actually sometimes we need a grab around the neck saying, don't go there. Or a when we can't get out of it ourselves. I believe the Lord wants to show his care to some people this morning in those realms. We'll talk about that a bit later. And fifthly, God shows his care to us by honoring us and valuing us. Actually, that which you really 
value you care about. I don't know about you, but there are certain things in my house um, that you take special care over because you value them. Certain ornaments, certain pictures, certain things you really don't want broken because they're a value to them, to you. And those things that you value most, you express care to. There are certain things I don't want the kids to touch because if they break, that's that. I care about them. There are certain things like everyday cups and things. I don't really mind it. Well, I do mind if they break, but I don't mind very much. But there are other things I would mind very much if they broke. And God shows his care to us in valuing us. This image of preparing a table in the presence of enemies. If you were invited to someone, someone's table, it was always a mark of honor and esteem to do so. And God in preparing a table for us. The God of heaven, he himself getting down, preparing a table. That image is very powerful. Saying God saying, I honor you, I esteem you. And in the presence of the enemies, some of you may remember, if you were at Transform Camp, um, Mark Mumford talking about the triumphal procession in the Roman era when the Romans, after a great victory, would come triumphantly back into the city, leading their captives behind them. That would be followed by a banquet where the key soldiers and commanders and generals were honored at a banquet. And those very captives, or some of them, may well be there so that they had to see the celebrations and the honor for those who defeated them. God prepares, honors us, values us, even in the midst of our enemies. He delights to do so. Okay? Believe as a word for someone in their work situation where you're finding very difficult at the moment. In the midst of not so much opposition, but criticism and backbiting, God wants to say, I honor you and value you. Even in the midst of people who are getting at you. God wants you to know that you're honored and esteemed by him. And anoint, as in anoint my head with oil, was always a mark of something special. Maybe being set apart and receiving God's enabling, but it always meant showing special recognition. And it denotes the presence and the favor of God. God cares for us by showing us his favor, goodness and love. The last one, follow me, bring up the rear. It's not just God just shows goodness, he is good, he does good things. It's not just he's loving, he is love. Goodness and love are unchangeable features of our God's character. And he can't help but demonstrate them to his people. He does good. He is love. Actually, if we contrast it to where Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd in John 10, he contrasts it with a hired person who's not a very good shepherd, who, as soon as trouble comes along, disappears. Doesn't love the sheep. He's just a mercenary there to do a job. No, God's not like that. When trouble comes along, he's more present 
not less. More present, not less present. His presence, lastly, is throughout this psalm. He shows his care for us by gracing us with his presence. His care for us is relational, not a service done impersonally. He leads, he guides, he is with us. You're with me, says David, verse 4. And that's explicitly stated in the time of trouble. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And of course, to David, the house of the Lord meant the place where God was. I'll hang out there forever. Okay, so brief run through that psalm. There's lots of different ways that God cares for us. Just, I want you just to pause for a second and reflect on that list. We're going to come back and look at rest and restoration in a few minutes. But um, believe God wants to show his care to you this morning or remind you of his care to you in different ways. Maybe just reflect on that list for a second. Firstly, either to be thankful for how God's cared for you or maybe there's an area where you need to see God's care for you in one of those areas. Just take 30 seconds to do that before we move on. Right, we watched a little DVD there of Sean the Sheep and Timmy, and of course, the point is, Timmy disappears and keeps trying to disappear and keeps getting into trouble. There wasn't a shepherd, unfortunately, there's a dog, but that's as close as we get. Um, But we can't avoid in the New Testament, and particularly around Jesus, that his mission is to seek and to save the lost. And an important part of God's care for us is that he rescues those who are lost. I found this quote. I'm not sure I agree with all of it, but here we go. Sheep are unintelligent animals. They're prone to wandering, unable to find their way to a sheepfold, even when it's in sight. And there's something in the sort of sheepiness that leads us to our need of a shepherd to rescue us. And like Timmy... There's something about sheep that just seem to wander off, wander off. And even when he was brought back, he tried to wander off. And when he did wander off, he got himself into trouble. And he wasn't even aware he was in trouble, but uh, up on the high wire. And there's something about that in us. Jesus said, the son of man, that's himself, has come to seek and save the lost. Isaiah prophesied it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There's just something in our fallen nature that finds it easy to turn to our own way and get disconnected from God and get lost and get caught up in stuff, get caught up in things we can't even get out of at times. But Jesus, the good shepherd, goes after the lost to rescue us. 
I'm personally grateful to Jesus Christ for saving me. Anybody agree? There's a line in a song by Martin Smith that said, what would I have become if it wasn't for Jesus? I came to Christ when I was 13 years old. I have no idea what I would have become if it hadn't have been for Jesus saving me. Probably not worth thinking about too much. Some of you, it might be more clear what you would have become if it hadn't have been for Jesus. So definitely don't think about that. Okay. But he seeks and saves the lost. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I have other sheep than are not of this sheep pen. He's talking to uh, his Jewish disciples and he's perhaps opening the door to their thinking that he's after the Gentiles as well. He wants all to come to a saving knowledge of him. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. That was the point of the story with the little sheep at the beginning. That our God shows his care by actively seeking out and rescuing and restoring those that are lost. Praise God. Lost simply means separated from God, separated from his love, and not being able to get back again. Either because you're stuck and you can't move, you don't even know that you're lost. Anybody ever had the experience of driving down the road and being lost but not knowing that you're lost until sometime later? I think Christopher had a serious, similar experience on a DOE expedition. He claims he wasn't really lost. He just wasn't where they were supposed to have been. I'm still not quite sure of the sort of semantic difference between those two things. I think he knew exactly where he was, but it wasn't where it was supposed to be, Um, which is lost in my book. But sometimes lostness sort of gradually dawns on you. You don't start out feeling lost. You kind of suddenly realize, actually, I'm not where I should be, and I don't know where I am. And... Sometimes you can even see where you should be and not be able to get there. There's some element of lostness where people can be stuck in their own habits, stuck in their own sin, stuck in their own mess. Most of us have been there. It's actually difficult to see how to get out of it. You know, you need to. And yet the Lord is able to rescue those who are lost. I believe the law wants to rescue some people from lostness today. Not necessarily they're completely off track, but we do get kind of stuck sometimes. I was confronted this week um, away in Transform. This is a bit of a negative testimony. It's actually completely the opposite testimony to Steve. So I'm expressing my vulnerability here. I knew that there was something wrong with me. And I knew I needed God to heal me. And actually, I didn't go and get someone to pray for me. Because there's a barrier. There was, for various reasons, there's a barrier there. God wants to break some barriers this morning that hold us back from receiving God's provision, protection, 
and care for us. Sometimes the barriers are internal, sometimes they're external. But I believe God wants to break down some barriers that cause us to be lost or dislocated from him in some way. And here's the third thing. First thing was like a list of, sort of a smorgasbord of good things that God does to show us he cares. Secondly, he rescues the lost. And the third thing is this, and it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a holiday theme really. He restores our souls. He restores our souls. This phrase comes in verse 3, but it's halfway through a phrase at the beginning of verse 3, which says this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Of course, restoration's always been on God's heart. Um, God's mission, in case you've missed it, by the way, um, is this. In Jesus Christ, he wants to overturn and put right and reverse all the effects, all of the effects of the fallenness of human beings. All of them. Not just dislocated from him, the living God, but all the effects of it, all the mess, all the broken relationships, all the bad things people do to one another, the whole lot God wants to restore. That's his mission. The Bible story is from creation onwards, mankind is fallen and the rest of the story is about being restored and redeemed in every way. And you know, that job won't be finished until the end, but we can have a substantial foretaste of it. It's not just a little taste. It's a foretaste of it. Restore simply means to put back what was lost. I don't know about you, but every now and again, my modem goes a bit strange, and I press a little button on the back which restores the factory defaults. Anyone ever done that? Anybody else found a bit of equipment where you don't know what's happened to it, and you've tried fiddling with it, but there's a little button or something you do that just restores it back to its original state. It's very helpful. I wish there was one of those in my heart, really. You know, it'd be just good to sort of, please restore back to original unfallen state. Press the button, and there I am. But no, unfortunately. But it's, it's a, common, a common thing to um, find various appliances and so on that we can restore back to the original sort of settings. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to restore, to put right what's been lost. When the Bible talks about the soul, it, it essentially means just that that makes us alive and or it, it's, it's the inner life, our thoughts, our feelings, our motivations, our will, our, all that goes on inside that makes us do what we do and are who we are. Okay. And in restoring our souls, God actually, I really believe this, does care. He cares that we live well and are in a good state. He cares that we live well and are in a good place. He wants to restore to us that sense of shalom. And that word means well-being. Everything's in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. And there's no sort of turbulence. There's no sort of jagged edges and fragmentation and bumping around. And just, just everything's in its right place and doing well. That's what shalom means. Shalom means peace, but it's, it's not peace as in a nice feeling it's peace as in everything is in order and in the right place and God wants to restore our souls into a place of shalom well-being which is what he always intended for us 
He wants to bring peace and quieting to troubled, anxious, crowded, disparate, unfocused, busy thoughts, feelings, motivations. Here's a little test. We need our soul restored we find it difficult to get into God's presence easily. Whether that's reading his word or being with believers and worshipping or praying. Or just, if that's difficult, if we find barriers there, we probably need some restoration of our souls. I don't know if you've had this experience. You come on a Sunday morning and the, the week's been social and frantic and disparate and all over the place. Actually, it's quite difficult to get engaged. Anybody had that experience? Don't put your hand up. I sometimes do. But we can be distracted by the stuff of life that's worn away at our souls. God wants to restore our souls. So, very quickly, some things that damage our souls. Sorry, they're not on the PowerPoint. Okay. Failure, sin, Words or actions of others towards us, inappropriate responses, anger, bitterness, it just eats away at us. Those can damage us. And those things happen, but actually there's a more sort of gentle or slow eroding of our souls sometimes that drain or deplete our inner life. Busyness. Saying yes to too many things. Not sleeping. Drivenness with a wrong ambition or just wanting too much stuff. And the opposite, monotony, drabness, and a lack of colour and creativity drains our souls. Sometimes just long-term problems or a succession of little things that just need to be sorted can just drain our souls. They affect our emotions, our will. Anybody use the phrase, I lost the will to live when another problem came up or something? Anybody? Yeah. You don't really lose the will to live, but it kind of just feels like, oh, not again. Okay. Um, Andy's nodding here. Presumably this is a fairly common experience for church administrators. I don't know. (laughs) You need your soul restored, Andy. Um, Sometimes just being peopled out can drain our souls i believe in the fellowship of the believers i believe in the koinonia the you know the fellowship of the spirit of being together but sometimes you can get a bit peopled out sometimes a godless environment or rather not seeing god in the environment we're with can sometimes drain our souls all sorts of things and this is a good time. If you're, if you're not on holiday this coming week, well, that's okay. But around this sort of time, there is actually the opportunity for having your, result, your soul restored. How can we get our soul restored? Quickly, four things. Four R's for re- re- restoring our souls. Number one, rest. He makes me lie down. Literally, rest means ceasing the activity of work because God rested at the end of creation. Not because he was tired, I don't think. But rest simply means to cease from the activity of work. It's a break from activity 
and it involves time. Relaxation, sleep. That's your belief. God wants to speak to someone this morning and wants to change something about your sleep patterns. Someone has been finding it difficult to sleep. You know you need to rest and you can't. Belief. God would like to change something there for you this morning. Adrian didn't like this when I said this. For me, rest means there's no pressing agenda. That's my definition of it. She didn't like that because she always likes to have one. But anyway, there you go. Um, but for me, it's not having a, you know, stuff I have to do. That's really good. Um, but actually, rest involves a choice. And sometimes I feel like we can fill life with stuff because we feel a bit insecure if we don't have stuff to do. If we don't have stuff to listen to, if we don't have something to be active doing, it gets a little bit scary. But I believe this morning God wants someone to make a choice to rest and other things follow from that. That means to cease being active and step back for a bit. So the first thing is rest. That might be something as simple as just sleeping well. Secondly... Well, what do we do with the time if we decided to step back? Secondly, recreation. It's a good word. It means recreation. It means to make something. Literally. You see, we're made in the image of God. God is creative. And when we're creative, we're just reflecting his image. And that restores our souls. Because we get back to be what we're supposed to be like. So, a suggestion here. Find something creative to do this week. Whether that's reading, sport, gardening, walking, DIY, making music, or dressmaking. And all of those things will happen in my house this coming week. Not by me, most of them. Did I say that again? Reading, sport, gardening, walking, DIY, making music, dressmaking. Okay? But just choose to do something that isn't agenda-driven and is creative. Because that's truly relaxing and restoring number three reflection so much happens to us that we don't process really believe that um i could do with an upgrade in my memory chip so i have more processing power as i get older i find more stuff happens to me that it just passes me by without me being able to process it and actually an important part of our souls being restored is to reflect on the significance of what's happening to us. Finding out the relative importance of things. Some of the most profound and important things take tiny amounts of time. A simple word from someone can be life-changing and it can be gone in a second unless we reflect on it. And we can find that we spend huge amounts of time doing stuff that isn't terribly important. And getting those things back into perspective takes time, but takes a bit of determination to do it. Can I encourage you this week, take a bit of time, there's a bit of time, to do something creative, but also to reflect as well. Final one, receiving. Whether that's the ministry of God's word to us, whether that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, whether that's the practical ministry of other people to us in practical ways. Whether that's the creativity of other people ministering to us. Music, 
art, literature, film, whatever. Or whether that's God's creation. The key to being restored in our souls is to receive. Allow time to take in from others. Actually, some of us find it difficult to receive. We're quite self-sufficient. And that is a bit soul-destroying after a while. Just doing everything in your own strength without creating the space to receive. And interestingly, in the psalm, David's soul is restored through being in green pastures and beside quiet waters. I should believe there's something important about the natural world that our God has made that restores our souls. I sometimes wonder whether some of the urban angst that we see is because people are surrounded by concrete and noise, a high-paced lifestyle, and are disconnected from what God's made in some sense. I do believe that there's a ministry that God's creation has to us that if we'd receive it, could restore our souls by getting perspective again. You see, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, people didn't have a problem with God speaking to them through what he'd made. One of the least obeyed commands of Jesus is this one. Consider the birds of the air. Okay? Sorry, let's not go there. It was my job once. Yeah. Um, I always like that one because, well, it's not really a command, but you know what I'm saying? And he then took what the people could see and God spoke to them through it. And I think, if we cut ourselves off from what he's made, I'm not getting all weird here, we're cutting off a God, an opportunity of God to speak to us and restore our souls. It didn't take long. It didn't be exotic. Light pollution notwithstanding, we could, with David in Psalm 8, consider your heavens, the moon and the stars. Okay. Get a glimpse of just how big our God is. If you do get a dark night, go outside, stare up there for 10 minutes and wonder. It could be in your garden. It could be just walking down the road. It doesn't have to be in some far-flung, exotic, or remote wilderness. Okay, I'm going to show you a few pictures. Play some music. And you might like them, you might not. Actually, they were all either taken in our back garden, or there are things that occur in downtown Dean Court, where I live, ex-council estate. And it restores my soul to look at them but as it plays through you may appreciate them may not but I want you just to plan your homework for this week and your homework for this week is take time out to let God's creation restore your soul and speak to you take time out this week to do something that's not agenda driven and is creative Take time out this week to receive. Whether that's the ministry of God's word, whether that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us in various ways, whether that's the ministry of receiving other people's creativity and showing us again what God's like or what, what life's about. 
Take a little bit of time out. It may just be that it needs a little bit of planning. So you've got one minute, 50 seconds to think about what are you going to do this week? Because I do believe you could just walk out of here and just miss it again and get back into the business of whatever you all do. But let's just think and make a decision to give God the opportunity to restore our souls this week. Okay. You don't have to look far to see something that may just restore your soul if you'll take long enough just to pause and look at it. We're going to conclude this morning by singing David's psalm, declaring again our trust in the God who cares for us. I can have the band up. And so I hope you go away, decided to do something to allow God to restore your soul this week. Um, we're going to sing this, but after that, if you know that God's spoken to you this morning, I've felt several things this morning, I would like someone to pray for you. Um, we would love to do that. If you sense that you're lost in some way, disconnected from the God who cares for you, we'd love you to come up. Uh, if you'd like to come and see Steve here when we finish singing the song, he'd love to pray for you. If you feel disconnected from the God who cares for you, for whatever your reason, if you're lost. Believe also, God wants someone to know this morning that he's with you in a time of trouble. We had that beautiful scripture from Hosea this morning where God promises that in the valley of Achor, which is a valley of trouble, it'll actually be a doorway to his blessing. Believe God wants to speak to someone about that this morning. We'd love to pray for you. A door of hope. 
the Lord wants to make it in Hosea. God wants to make a time of trouble, a doorway of hope for you. I believe it's very simply as someone who's um, finding it difficult to sleep, and that's really getting you down. For I believe the Lord wants to change something in that area for you. And um, also that sense of um, protection in unsafe places. When it talked about in deepest darkness, God's protection. I believe that there's someone who's in a, in a risky situation, not necessarily a wrong place to be, but it's just a risky situation, and you feel unsure and vulnerable. I believe it's to do with a work situation. I believe God just wants you to know that he's with you there. So any of those things, um, if you'd like to receive prayer, that would be great. We're going to sing this song, and then the meeting will end there. Please join us for a cup of tea or coffee.